Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John 19. As we continue to work our way through those last moments of Jesus' life, we're listening to His last words from the cross. Have you ever felt like, I just can't get enough? I don't think I'll ever have enough. Or maybe you felt like, I just can't do enough. Or perhaps you felt, I'll just never be enough. Those of us that do any kind of counseling with people, we're familiar with these feelings because that's part of our human nature, isn't it? We are at our core inadequate (laughs) and we know that but that's still a hard truth to stomach that's something that's hard for us to recognize within all of us there's a hunger that we will never fill there's a goal we've set that we may never meet there needs we have that can only be met by Jesus Christ and that's why As we listen to the words that Jesus will say today, we find comfort in the reality that He knows that too. He understands that while we fall short, He never does. He never fails. As we've journeyed through these words on the cross, we started with a word of forgiveness. You remember the setting. Jesus has been nailed to the cross after a day-long season of persecution. And as he's hanging there, he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A word of forgiveness, and, and that's encouraging to me because there are moments in my life where I feel like I have blown it beyond repair. And it's helpful to know that He gets me, that He understands. And then He moved from a word of forgiveness to a a word of hope or assurance. You remember the criminal uh, next to it? They had been mocking Jesus with the soldiers, with the religious leaders. And I don't know if it was a glance he got from Jesus, but something caused him to realize that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And So he cried out to Jesus, and and Jesus gave him a word of hope. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's comforting to me because I I struggle with doubt. I'm I'm not a pastor that's going to tell you that, man, if you doubt, you're, you're a sinner. Because I think doubt is a part of our humanity. It's a part of who we are in our existence. There are days that I, I have to be honest. I say, God, do I get it? Do I, am I saved? And yet it's in those moments that I look to the cross and, and I realize that in the words of Jesus, I can know that He gets me and He gives me hope. And then He offers some words of compassion. There's only a handful of people. He's lived 33 years, and only a handful of people are there at his death. Everyone else has run away. His mama's there with a few of her friends, and then of his guy friends, it's just John. I know what Jesus must have been feeling that day. Where is everybody? And yet he turned the focus from himself to his mama. And to his friend. And and so he said to John, hey, John, she's your mama now. And to sweet Mary, he says, oh, dear lady, mama, John's going to take care of you. It's a word of compassion that, that helps me because there are those moments. I have to tell you, it's because of me, not because of anyone else. But there are moments where I don't feel loved. And I wonder, God... Have you forgotten me? Do you know I'm still here? And in those words, I understand he gets me. He does. 
there were about three hours of silence where those who gathered there watched Jesus suffer. And then Jesus begins to talk again. And in very quick fashion, one after another, we have the last four sayings of Christ from the cross. The first is a cry of agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments, we understand that Jesus endured every dimension of hell. Total darkness. And that encourages me because I know what it's like to feel like someone turned out the lights. To feel dark. To feel hopeless. And it's encouraging that, that God in those moments gets me. And that he offers hope. From there we hear Jesus cry out, I thirst! And we're reminded that our suffering world needed a suffering Savior. We're reminded that Jesus endured the pain and the shame so that when we go through suffering, we would know He understands. And that comforts me because sometimes life is hard. It's good to know that he gets me. And then we come to a word of victory. At the very end of Jesus' life, you would think it might would be a word of despair, a word of depression. But it's not. It's a word a victory, a triumphant word. Some have said that no words ever uttered in any human language have the power of these words. That's what you find in John 19 and verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine. Remember when Jesus was first nailed to the cross, they offered him a drink that was laced with a drug, with a poison. Think morphine, just to put it in our context, so that that person hanging on the cross may have some of their pain dulled as they died. Jesus refused that because he wanted to endure the suffering. But now we've just heard that he's thirsty. His throat is dry. Near death... He wants to be able to utter these last words. So he takes from this hyssop branch with a sponge, with this sour wine, just to get enough to moisten his mouth and say, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. Jesus preparing to take his last breath. Utters triumphant words. It is finished. These powerful words change everything. Walls fall down. Chains are broken. Miracles happen. Relationships restored. Eternity impacted. Lives changed. Because Jesus said, It is finished. So before we go any further, I want you to think about those three words in our language, as you'll see in a moment, it's just one word in the language that Jesus was speaking. But in our language, three words. It is finished. And, and I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. And, and then I want you to think about maybe what is unfinished in you. What is that work? Maybe it's never been started by God. Maybe you need to have a relationship with God. Maybe that's what needs to happen as a result of this time in His Word. But perhaps 
and likely. Many of us have that relationship with him, but that work, it's not being completed in the way he would desire. There are unfinished things in our lives their habitual sins, their attitudes, their words that we say in a tone that we speak with that is not pleasing to Him, their habits that dishonor our God. And as we come before Him, we would say, Oh God, would you continue to finish in me what you started in me? So, as we often do, if you're physically able, I'm going to give you an opportunity maybe just to take that physical posture of prayer. We kneel because we come in submission to God. If not, maybe at least you would just bow your head with me. And in these first moments, would you just think of those things where you may need His finishing work? I just add some to the list. Maybe you're dealing with depression. You just say, oh God, would you finish restoring the joy of my salvation? Maybe you live with pain or you're dealing with grief. You'd say, God, would you finish that work of giving me your peace and comfort? But for many of us, there are those sin struggles. Chains need to be broken. Walls need to come down. Oh, God, would you finish in me what you started? Maybe you would pray this prayer. God, give me what I don't have that I need. Teach me what I need to know that I haven't learned. Make me what you want me to be. Everlasting Father, again, we come to you and we acknowledge we live in a world that is literally at war. And so we cry out in big ways for peace in, in Eastern Europe, for your intervention, for divine guidance of leaders. Lord, but we get closer to home and our lives seem like they're getting so complex and complicated. We need a loan to go to the gas tank. We go to the grocery stores and shelves are empty battling diseases we've never heard of we need you Lord and yet as we open your word Jesus we realize you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness and so Lord we just want to appropriate that into our lives in this moment we want to experience the victory that you declared we want to know the finished work of salvation in our lives so, Lord, would you meet us here for a few more minutes? We need you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as I talk, my words would reflect you. God, would you supernaturally govern my thoughts and keep them together and focused on you in these next few minutes? And, oh, God, I pray the only way I know how to pray is that you would do what you said you would do and Jesus that when we lift you up that somebody today would be drawn to you because they look to you Jesus on the cross because they see your finished work so Lord we thank you Jesus thank you that you cried out it is finished we worship you and we praise your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you give him praise just as we celebrate what he's going to do in these next few moments? I want to say those words again. I want you to hear them. Let's say them together. It is finished. One more time. It is finished. Now, 
He doesn't say he is finished because he's not. He's just getting started. And he doesn't say you are finished because you're not. Because he's creating a pathway to begin a good work in you. But he says, it is finished. So if we're following along, we should be asking, what is it? What was finished? I want to answer that question, and I want to do it from Scripture. First of all, the suffering of Jesus was finished. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was saying, the suffering is over. Uh, sometimes when I'm walking with a family, as they face death, we, we pray for a sweet release. When death becomes imminent and we know that eternity is, is just around the corner, we pray that God would end the suffering, the pain, the difficulty of gaining that breath and that he would give a sweet release into his presence. As, as Jesus prepared to breathe his last, he knew that he was done suffering. But we know that his whole life had been about suffering. When he was born, he was born without any place to lay his head. He suffered. Just after his birth, his parents had to run to another country with him because they were being persecuted. He suffered. When he got old enough to be out on his own, people didn't like him because of just what he said. He suffered. And now, here on the cross, he had endured every kind of physical pain, emotional pain, even spiritual pain that you could endure. And as we've said repeatedly, he did this in fulfillment to the prophecies of God's Word. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Or as the King James said, by his stripes we are healed. Just think about all that Jesus endured, remembering that our suffering world causes us to need a suffering Savior. But in this moment, <laughs> he said, not anymore. It's done. Hey, remember this. When you're at the outer edge of your endurance, Jesus is there for you. Isn't that good news? When you're at the outer edge of your endurance, Jesus is there for you. Give him praise. Would you do that? His suffering was over, but his submission to the Father in obedience was also over. I want you to think about that. Jesus did something that you and I can never do. He lived a human life perfectly obedient to the commands of God and perfectly submissive to the will of God. He never messed up. Do you truly understand that? Jesus never sinned. I want you to get in your mind's eye your best day. I mean, maybe it was a Sunday. You went to church. You sang. You put something in the offering plate. You said a blessing before you had lunch. I mean, it was your best of the best day. Guess what? You still sinned. You did something that he told you not to do, or you didn't do something he told you to do, and you fell short. That's not the case with Jesus. In fact, by this point, he had done everything he came to do. That's why in that priestly prayer in John 17, 4, he said, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's how we all want to end our life. Mission accomplished. 
I did everything I came to do. Jesus could truly say that. And he did that obeying every law and submitting to God's will in every way. He reminds us of that in Matthew 5. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I'm not giving you an easy way out. Or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He had to live a perfect life. That makes what he did on the cross possible. And he did that. His suffering was over. His submission to the Father and obedience to his commands was over. But you know what else? His satanic battle was over. Did you know on the cross, Jesus finished a battle that had started before any of us? Well, of course it's before any of us, but before any people ever walked on this earth. The Bible says that in heaven, this old angel named Lucifer, he got the big head. And he saw God on the throne, and he thought, I could do that. And a battle takes place, and we know how that ends. Lucifer... And about a third of the angels were thrown out of heaven. He then becomes known as Satan. The angels become demons. And Satan rears his ugly head in the form of a serpent early in our biblical story. There in the Garden of Eden. He comes to Eve and he tells her exactly what he thought in heaven. Hey, you can be like God. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a tempter. And when we do what Eve did, when we give in to his lies and his deception and his temptation, then we sin. But we've got a problem because of Eve. We don't have to do something to sin. We are born sinners thanks to her. That's the way we live. So we are born with this big chasm between us and God And so this battle has been raging throughout all of history. In Genesis, after that happened, God looked at the enemy. He looked at Satan and he said, I put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then in Colossians, we have the response of God to this battle that's been going on. Listen to what it says in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, literally on the cross. When Jesus was saying, it is finished, He was saying, the battle is over. Ronald Wallace says, the hour of his death was the hour of which he emerged in the final assault and came to the closest grips with his satanic enemy. It was the hour when the powers of evil were forced to stand and stake everything in one decisive battle. That's where it was all taking place, on the cross. That's why we call it Good Friday, because on Good Friday, when Jesus hung on that cross and he breathed his last breath, he delivered the final victorious blow to Satan, and the battle was won. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The devil is a defeated foe. A matter of fact, I like to say, uh, anytime the devil's on your back, anytime he's after you, anytime you feel like you're being oppressed by his temptations, you just look at him and say, go to hell. Because that's where he belongs. Because he's defeated. In case you don't understand that, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He says, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The best way I've heard to understand this 
is through an illustration I heard from Dr. Tony Evans years ago. He talked about this little boy that was out in his backyard playing basketball. Everything was fine until he saw this little tiny bee just flying around his face. And you know how bees are. He was just buzzing. He would get closer and closer. And the boy began to panic and he cried out, Dad! Dad! And his dad came running outside thinking something terrible had happened. He said, what's wrong? And he realized his little boy was just afraid of this bee. And so the dad kind of smiled. He took his big old fatherly hands. He looked for that bee. And in a moment, he just clapped them together. His son got the biggest smile on his face because that bee had been caught by his daddy. He was safe now. And then his dad did the unthinkable. He opened his hands, and that bee began to fly around, and it buzzed around his little boy's face again. And the little boy said, Dad, what are you doing? And his dad held up that big old hand. He said, oh, son, you don't need to worry. See, that, that bee only has one stinger, and I took his stinger. He can't do anything to you. Now, let's read those words from 1 Corinthians 15 again and see if they have meaning. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, he said, Satan, you give me your biggest blow, but it's not enough. It's over. It's done. It's finished. The suffering was finished. His submission to the Father and obedience to his command was finished. His battle with Satan was finished. But his sacrificial act was also finished. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was just doing what had always needed to be done in light of sin. Remember why Jesus came. We know his purpose. That's the great thing about the Bible. We've got the purpose statement of Jesus. Why did he come? Can I give it to you? To seek and to save the lost. Let's say that together. To seek and to save the lost. So here's the magic question. Who are the lost? You, you know, if you've been around church like I have, that, that may be an easy question, but if this is a new thing to you, that's kind of confusing. What do you mean the lost? Who are the lost? Well, obviously, a, a lost person is, is someone who's not been yet a found person, right? We understand lost and found. We get that from being a child. So something that is lost is not found yet. Biblically, that term lost is used to describe someone who is lost in their sin. Remember what we said about our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, because they sinned? Now we're all sinners. Not only are we born with sin, but that sin separates us from God. And from the beginning of time, God has said the only way that sin can be punished is through death. Now in our home, we have children that have come through our home now from 26 down to 9. The older ones, a lot of their punishes, punishment is between them and God. But this nine-year-old little girl, she's got a head of her own. So this week we had to talk about some punishment. And she talks about it in this term. Are there going to be consequences? <laughs> Dad, are there going to be consequences? And the answer is, yes, there's going to be consequences. Now, in all of our homes, we probably deal with consequences differently, don't we? Some spank. Some don't believe in that. They just do time out. Some take things away. Could you imagine if the consequence for any time you did anything wrong was, all right, death penalty. Well, it kind of is. In, in God's order of things, when we sin in any way, 
the only right punishment is death. But aren't you thankful that God is loving, that God is gracious, that God does not want us to perish in death? And so early on, early in the Bible, we begin to see that God made a way out. And he said, all right. Something's got to die because you guys are blowing it. But why don't you go get that bull and, and, and just kill the bull. And that shed blood of the bull, that'll be the covering for that sin you just did. And next time he said, hey, go get a goat over there. And, and you just you slit the neck of that goat and uh, that'll cover these sins, you know, because somebody's got to die. Or maybe go get that lamb. I'm doing my, my Bible reading, and man, it's got me in Leviticus right now. Pray for me. Leviticus. This morning, early this morning, I was reading Leviticus 14. You know what it's talking about? It's, it's what I just talked about. It's talking about these atoning sacrifice. When, when a person sinned, they, they had to sacrifice an animal and, and shed that blood, which means that animal had to die to to atone for or to make right their sin. Um, two days from now, I'll be in Leviticus 16. And in Leviticus 16, it talks about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement, the high priest, once a year, he covers all the sins of the whole nation. And, and so he brings in two goats. And one goat, he slits his neck, and, and that goat dies, and the blood's everywhere. And then the other goat, he takes the blood from that first goat and, and rubs it on the head of the one goat. That goat's called the scapegoat. And he says to the nation, to the people of Israel, your sins have been transferred onto him. And then someone is assigned the task of taking that goat out into the wilderness. And no one ever sees that goat again. Somebody always has to die for sin. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he was your scapegoat. Your sins and my sins were put onto him. He died in our place. His sacrifice was for us. But when he said, it is finished, he was saying, there's not going to be any more sacrificing. I've done everything that needs to be done. Now, the early church understood this. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you understand that that's what Jesus did for you? That's serious sacrifice. Paul talks about it again in Colossians 2 and verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, just not to give you a definition of that term right here, right now. But what he's saying is regardless of what family you were born into, regardless of what culture you're from, you're never going to be enough on your own. Never, never, never enough. But. God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set, nailing it to the cross. Jesus finished his suffering. Jesus finished being submissive to the will of the Father. Jesus finished his battle with Satan. Jesus finished the sacrifice. And then he said, it is finished.
But that even has different meaning than it does for us. Because as Jesus cried out in what would be the Koine Greek of the day, the language everybody spoke, what he actually said, and history records it, he said one word, Tetelestai! Tetelestai! Everybody would understand that. Because everybody had gone to get some bread and there had to be an exchange. And, and when they paid for the bread, the shop owner would say, Tetelestai. It's paid. Paid in full. We know that some people took on debt even back then. And when you took on debt, you would make payments. But the purpose of taking on debt is to eventually pay it off. And when that debt would be paid off, think of it like a deed that you might have for your home. When you've paid it off, you're going to get a piece of paper. And on that, it would have said, Tetelestai. Paid in full. It was a word that could mean mission accomplished, but it was primarily an accounting word. And God was letting us know that there had been a business transaction that just took place. See, the reality is we've already established all of us have a debt that we could never pay, a sin debt. It's a big debt. Let me illustrate it. Let's pretend for a second that as soon as we finish here in church, we decided we're all going to go over to Indian Rocks Beach and just line up along the seashore. And there we are. Some can swim. Some love the water. Some can't swim. Some hate the water. But we've got one assignment. All of us at the same time on the count of three, we're jumping into the water and we're swimming to Texas. Because it's right over there on the other side of this water. I mean, theoretically, right, you could swim from Indian Rocks Beach to Texas. But some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about, Willis? Uh, you know, what, what's going on in, in your mind? Why do you think we can do that? Because no matter how good we are at swimming, we will all fall short. No matter how strong we are in endurance, none of us will endure. And that's the way it is with our sin debt. But we're not trained to think that way. We're trained to think if you just go to church, if, if you maybe put something in the offering, or if you pray, or if you sing like you mean it, that that kind of pays on your bill. But if you think that, You've just misunderstood the whole concept because the, the concept is that sin creates this debt that we can never pay because the only way sin is paid for is by death. <laughs> and so when Jesus died on the cross, this was a business transaction because Jesus, the only one who's ever walked this earth who never sinned, he took on the sins of us all. He endured the wrath of God. He hung in shame and experienced pain so he could pay our debt. Remember where we started? We feel like we'll never have enough because we won't. We feel like we'll never be enough because we aren't. We feel like we'll never do enough because we can't. But when Jesus said it is finished, he was saying, I know who you are. I, I get you. And I'm more than enough. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our insufficiency and he covered us. 
Don't raise your hand, but some of you know that word, insufficient, because you get a little notice. Maybe today it's like even a text message that says, alert, insufficient funds. That's not a message you want to get, because what that's telling you is there in your account, there has been a debt created. And unless something covers that debt, you're going to be in trouble because what's in the account is insufficient to cover the debt that's been created. When Jesus died on the cross, what he was saying to you and me, hey, you were born into this world with insufficient funds. Nothing you do in your life will cover the sin debt that's been created. The only way you're going to make it out of this thing alive is if you allow someone who has sufficient funds to cover you. So when Jesus said, to tell us die, what he was saying is, the transaction is complete. I've taken and given you my funds. Um, my youngest son, oh, forgive me, son. My youngest son is a godly, talented Incredible young man. And because of that, really through high school, most of our focus for him is to be able to use those talents and skills that God's given him. In other words, uh, he's, um, he got up early this morning and worked. But he's not worked a whole lot for pay. <laughs> but he's extremely generous. And so as I look at his accounts... I began to notice something a while back. Like, son, you, you went over to Zaxby's. I know you did not eat $18 worth. He said, oh, oh, no. You know, I was there with such and such, and he really didn't have much. So I said, I got you. I said, oh, that was sweet. That was kind. And then I noticed over here, man, you ate at Pollo Tropical. But I'm confident and it didn't cost you $25. And he said, oh, no, I was with you. And I, they didn't have any time. He said, I got you. <laughs> and eventually I had to say, well, here's the problem. Because you keep saying, I got you. But you ain't got nothing coming in. And so you ain't got nothing coming in. But you got stuff going out. And so I have to get you. The only way you can say I got you is because I'm getting you. I'm covering your account from my account. And here's the deal. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying, I got you. Whatever you need, I got you. He paid it all. All to him we owe. Our sin, it leaves a crimson, red, nasty, stinking stain. But by his grace, he makes it white as snow. Listen to this. He paid for those lies that you tell. He pays for that stuff you steal, even the stuff you steal from him, because he said everything you have came from him. He paid for your adultery, sir. Ma'am. Paid for those impure thoughts that you struggle with. He paid for those stupid things you did when you were drunk or high. He paid for that abortion that you grieve over. He paid for your lack of love of His Word. He prayed for that void of prayer. He, he, he prayed for that anxiety that you battle with, even told, though he told you, don't be anxious. When we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe, we mean he paid for everything. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. So what does this mean? <laughs> if you don't get the message, here it is. Jesus 
finished. There's nothing left to do. We want to live a life that honors Him out of the fruitfulness of our life. But nothing you do is going to make you better in His eyes. That's the difference between us and every other world religion. Your Muslim neighbors, they believe in the five pillars of Islam. And if you go through those five pillars, you're, you're going to be okay regardless of where you lived. Monday in Nashville, I got in an Uber. This kind man was from a country, believe it or not, I had never heard of between India and some other countries. And so we, we got to talking about faith. His English had seemed good, but when I, I said, well, you know, what is the faith practice there in that country? Because that was an easy end for me because um, I had not heard of the country. He said, oh, it's, it's, it's Buddhist. Most, most people are Buddhist. And, and so I thought, good, he, he's listening. And I said, are, are you, uh, do you practice Buddhism? I mean, do you follow the noble eightfold path? Because in Buddhism, if I just do these things, no matter who I am, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, his English got real bad. Oh, sorry, don't understand. Sorry. <laughs> but the difference is in Christianity, it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. And, and he's already finished. So, Jesus finished. But here's the deal. We're not finished. Right? We're not home yet. So here we are, kind of in limbo a little bit. We're sinners. We got to decide if we're going to rely on his finished work. If we're going to look at the cross. And here's the good news. Thanks to Jesus, we can all finish strong. Thanks to Jesus and His finished work, His accomplished mission, we can finish strong. But it's not going to be through going to a church class or First Communion or Confirmation. It's not going to be by raising your hand or just walking down an aisle or even being dipped or dunked in a tank of water. It's not going to be by saying a magic prayer. It's going to be by coming to the cross of Christ where we recognize the ground is level and looking at the finished work of Jesus and say, you finished, so I'm going to trust you. I'll never have everything I need, but you are everything I need. I'll never do everything I need, but you've done everything I need. I'll never be everything I need, but you are everything I need. You are more than enough. <laughs> Friend, you've got to learn to look to Christ. If, if just... If just those of us that have gathered together today made a commitment, we're going to look to Christ. Man, we would change Tampa Bay and we would begin to touch the world. Because listen to this, in Christ, we learn how to endure suffering. We don't walk around saying everything's great, but we learn to endure suffering because he suffered in our place. In Christ, we learn to submit to God's will. It's not always easy to obey. It's not always easy to do what he asks. But when we look to him, we learn to submit to God's will. In Christ, we stand victoriously over sin. Satan. Here's the deal. He's still buzzing around your face. He's wreaking all kind of havoc in your life, in your marriage, at your workplace. He's trying to show off, but he is defeated. And when you remember that you are in Christ, you stand victoriously over Satan because in Christ we are saved. So the question just becomes, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you always have what you need. You always be what He wants you to be. And He'll empower you to do what He wants you to do. Because He's more than enough. First time I heard those words in that song from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Singers, man, I thought, yes, this is what I need. Jehovah, 
Jireh, my provider, you're more than enough for me. Jehovah Rapha, you're my healer, for by your stripes I've been set free. Jehovah Shama, you are with me and you supply all my needs. You're more than enough. You're more than enough. You're more than enough for me. And he is. But there's a little bit of a catch. Before the one who finishes work on the cross can be more than enough for you, you've got to declare bankruptcy. You know why bankruptcy, those laws, chapter 11, chapter 7, why they were created? Because even though it's not good, some people get into a setting they will never get out of on their own. And so the government literally created a law that makes a way out. Jesus is more than enough for you. But you've got to declare bankruptcy. (laughs) You've got to let him know, I can't do this without you. You've got to let him come in and take control. So let's do that now. Would you bow your heads with me? We're about to enter into one of the most important few minutes of your week. So I ask you just to stay with us and to stay focused. I I believe with confidence there are people here today that are not yet followers of Christ. I want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus today. And then I want you to hear me because we don't do this every week. Immediately after I do that, I'm going to tell you how you can come tell one of our pastors that you've done that. I think that's important. Jesus said, if you profess me before men, I'll profess you before the Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before men, if you're not willing to stand with me before men then it's clear you didn't really mean it and I'll deny you before the Father in heaven so I believe that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost I believe that lostness occurs when our sinned debt our sin debt has not yet been met by, by what Jesus did and, and so I believe that there are likely some who are lost right here if that's you I think you know it I think you know there's never been a time where you truly trusted Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. And this is what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just call upon the Lord and you're saved. That's why even a child like sweet little Brooke can understand. Because it's understanding that I'm a sinner that has a debt I can't pay. And there's a Savior who's covered my sin debt. But you've got to tell Him, I want you to be my Lord. I want to receive your forgiveness. Now here's what I think, just based on how our world looks. Not only are there people in this room who need to do that, there are probably members of our church who need to do that. And so now you're beginning to struggle with, man, that's embarrassing, I don't know. Listen, this, is, this either is a lie or it's the most important thing that we ever deal with in our life. And so our momentary pride really doesn't have anything to do with this moment. So if that's you, I want you to cry out to God. And you can do that in your own words. You could, you could even pray a prayer or something like this if you wanted to. Jesus I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I can't pay the debt. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. Come into my life. 
take control. From now on, I'm going to follow you. I tell him thank you. I'm going to finish this prayer in just a moment. When I say amen, we're all going to stand. As soon as we stand, Andrew and our team are going to begin leading us in this song. It says this, just as I am, I come. If you just prayed that prayer, or if you would say, I I, I think I need to talk to someone about my salvation. The pastors of our church are beginning to stand in every aisle. And we want to talk to you. So time I say amen, time we stand and begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come take one of their hands. If you prayed that prayer, you might just say, I prayed that prayer. If you feel like I need to be saved, just say, I need to be saved. But don't miss this moment. Jesus finished everything that needed to be done. Why would we leave stuff unfinished here today? Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, Would you do what you said you were going to do? We've lifted Jesus up. Jesus, I don't know how more clearly to describe what you've done. We praise you. We lift you up. Would you draw somebody to you today? Give somebody the boldness. They've never thought about stepping out of their seat and coming and telling somebody else something like this. Give them courage today because, Lord, it's life-changing. Walls will come down. Chains will be broken, Lord. Give them courage today. Lord, do that right now by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Just as I am without one you come. but that thy blood was shed be first. You come. for me, and that thou bidst me I grew up in a church where we'd often sing these words and, and sometimes we'd sing, I think there's six verses in the hymn, hymnal. Sometimes we'd sing them all. <laughs> and I'd watch my hero, my dad just standing there. I now know some of what he was thinking. He may have been looking out and thinking, man, oh, dear Jesus, would you just give John courage to come today? Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you, would you give Sally the courage to step out? And some days they would, and some days we'd sing all those verses, and it would just stop. We're not going to keep singing a lot of verses. We're going to sing one more. But here's the reality. I, I want you to know I'm, I try to be a very logical person. So here's what we're saying if no one's coming. There's only two things we're saying. We're either saying we've all already got a relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, praise the Lord. That's a good thing. Now, we probably need to invite some of our friends to church who don't have that relationship with Jesus, but that's a good thing. Or we're saying, I hear it, but I'm not ready. I hear it, but I I don't know. Some of you saw the NFL quarterback that was hit by a vehicle and lost his life yesterday. I watched a former... NFL player who's a pastor say on social media just this fall I did a chapel for that team that quarterback that player was in there and he came up and he says this is interesting I'm just not ready today we don't know what tomorrow holds I'm going to invite you you step out as Andrew sings you come just as I am Waiting not to feed my soul of one dark thought to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot of God I come. 
Father, I thank you that you tell us the unseen things are known to you. I thank you for the proverb I read even again this morning that teaches that what we cover, your one day will bring into the light, you'll uncover. But what we uncover by your grace and your shed blood, Jesus, you cover. Thank you for the redemptive work that so many of us celebrate here today. As we continue to worship you, Lord, continue to draw our focus to the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated just for another moment? I think maybe you can see now why the early church began to obey the words of Jesus and they celebrated his death. You know, next week we gathered, and yes, we're going to celebrate that Jesus is alive. That's important to us. But that's only important to us because he died. (laughs) It's his death that gives us everything we've talked about today. So Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said, all right, from now on, I'm not going to be with you, but you keep doing this and remember me. And so then in the early church, Paul wrote these words. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By the way, Jesus is coming again. Until that day, As simple as it seems, he's given us a method by which we can remember what he did on the cross. We call it the Lord's Supper, our communion. It's designed only for those who are followers of Christ. It's not an empty ritual. So I would ask if you are a follower of Christ, you're invited to participate in this. If you're not, man, just observe what we're doing because the Bible gives some very Very strong warnings about doing this without understanding the meaning. But for those of us who the Bible calls children of God, when you take of this little wafer, you're remembering all the pain that Jesus endured in his earthly body. When you take of this cup of juice, you're remembering that the blood of Jesus was shed so that his work could be finished in you. So there's two things I want to invite you to do before you take this today. One is always, as he taught us, just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. But secondly, I want you to claim victory over that area you needed in your life. All those things we talked about, I want you to claim victory because of the death of Jesus. So maybe it's that sin struggle. Maybe it's something in your past that you just haven't let go, but that he's forgiven and, and the Bible says even forgotten. And maybe it's anxiety or depression that you're dealing with. Maybe it's just how do I deal with this pain that I have? I, w- I want you just in a moment of prayer just to ask God to give you victory in light of his finished work on the cross. So would you bow your heads and begin to do that right now? Just tell him, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And ask him for victory in your life in these specific areas. Oh, Father, thank you for what you've done in me even in these last few minutes and for no one else I needed (laughs) I needed your words today thank you Jesus I thank you that I can look to the cross and realize it is finished the battle's over the war's done thank you that I can look to the cross and live in my suffering in my battles and my desire to be obedient 
and I can live out my salvation in you, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for that in my life, and as my brothers and sisters in Christ are praying around the room, I I pray that you would give us victory in these moments. Lord, that as we prepare to walk out of here in just a few minutes, that we would do so victorious because of who you are. And because of those words, Jesus, it is finished. Oh, Jesus, this little bread, this little cup of juice, we do this in remembrance of you. In the name of Jesus.